Get Acts 1 and John 3. Hope you'll pray for me. I start that meeting at Cornerstone Baptist in Dayton tonight, tonight through Wednesday night. And uh, I've got my History of the Bible exhibit all set up down there. And I'm excited to see what God does with us this week. So look at uh, Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Lord, please help us as we study this text and those following today. Lord, please help us to have a good understanding of all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you have a ribbon here. I want us to look at a couple of passages before we dive into our text. Our text for today is verses 9 through 11. But I want to deal with something that I didn't get to last week. Get Matthew chapter 12. And Acts chapter 8. Matthew 12 and Acts 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under the chair in front of you. So if you remember, at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches to Israel. He is stoned. And that's really the last offer of the kingdom to Israel until the end of the church age. And if you're not familiar with those terms, uh, you can go back to some of our our previous messages. And so look at what it says in verse 4. Therefore, this is Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So remember what Jesus said would happen. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem... That's where the church is. That's where they're starting. And all Judea, that's where they're scattered abroad. And all Samaria. Look at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Look at what else happens in Acts chapter 8. Verse 27. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia... An eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And this is when Philip gives him the gospel and gives us that great account. Understandest thou what thou readest? How can I except some man show me? How many of you know that people need the Bible explained to them? Whose job is that? Some of you are looking at me. It's ours. Amen. That's, that's our job to communicate the word of God to people. Explain it to them. Then he says, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Isn't that wonderful? So we have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Where does Ethiopia fit into it? Go back to Matthew chapter 12. Look with me. Look at verse four, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. 
But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. How many of you know there are people looking for signs right now? What does Jesus think of that thinking? Holy cow. An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. That would be Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So what Jesus is saying is that Israel is rejecting Jesus and to indict the, the Israelites, he's bringing up Gentiles who believed. Right? So, this, of course, this really makes the Jews mad because they're not real fond of Gentiles. And look at what it says in verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Oh, where'd she come from? For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Where was she from? Ethiopia. So what do we have in Acts chapter 8? Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Just like that. How many of you love every word of the Bible? There's none of them that are throwaway. It's, it's the scriptures. Isn't it wonderful? Okay, now, that was for free. Let's get to this morning's message. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Hey, are you all excited to be here today? I sure hope so, because I'm really excited to show you what we're going to see in this text. Verse 9, Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. So after the other most parts of the earth, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, we have the disadvantage of having watched Superman. Iron Man, whatever, these beings that can fly. How many of you know people don't really fly? So when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, that's not anything that had ever been seen before. Now, how many of you know Jesus ascended to heaven? How many of you know that? But we have to step back and think about what an amazing sight that must have been. So hold your place here. Look at Luke chapter 24. Remember, Acts is the continuation of the book of Luke. The former treatise is the way he describes it in Acts chapter 1. Verse 49, we've looked at this the last several weeks. Luke 24, verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. I want you to think about something. So Jesus tells them to tarry in Jerusalem. Why? Because I would imagine that after the crucifixion of Christ and all of the emotions that had taken place, they could not wait to get back to their little villages in Galilee. And what would they have done? They would have gone to Galilee and they would have started testifying, they would have started witnessing, but they weren't ready yet. Remember, God never calls us to do something and then sends us to do it before he prepares us and equips us. 
They were not yet equipped. They needed the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit of God. But that's such a beautiful thing, just in this little verse. Verse 49 again, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Verse 50, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. So wait a minute, I thought they were on the Mount of Olives. They are. They are. Bethany is on the one slope of the Mount of Olives, and Jerusalem is on the other slope of the Mount of Olives. And so if you remember when Lazarus was dead and Jesus said, let's go to, let's go to Bethany, he was going to go see Lazarus. And of course, we know what he did. Well, they knew, the disciples knew that if they got near Jerusalem, the Jews were going to kill him. And what did they say? Jesus said, let's go to Bethany. They said, okay, let's go die. That was what was going to happen. That's how close Bethany is to Jerusalem. It's on the one side of the Mount of Olives and This is where Jesus begins speaking to them. Verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. He was carried up into heaven. That's kind of a cool thing. Isn't that that neat? So when we put these two accounts together, go back to Acts chapter 1. Verse 9, and when he had spoken these things, so where is he speaking these? He's speaking them on the Mount of Olives, on the Bethany side. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven. How about that word? Steadfastly. They weren't looking around. Nothing. Nothing distracted them. One commentator that I read, Alexander McLaren, he was writing in the 1800s. And he was writing about how many of us have seen a loved one leave on a ship. And we watch that ship until it gets to the end of the horizon where we can no longer see it. Why? Because the people we love are on that ship. And Jesus Christ, they didn't love anyone more than Christ. And now he's being taken from them as he ascends into heaven. They're just staring. Steadfastly. Watching him go. Verse 9, or verse 10 And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So they didn't see them come. And these are two angels. They they, they were too busy looking up here to see something else that was going on. Verse 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing steadfastly, gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Isn't that a wonderful promise? All I can say right here, and the title of my message is he was taken up, but another title could be it's not over. It's not over. So let's let's get some truth on the significance of the ascension of Christ. Why is this, or is this significant in the scripture? So the first point is understand when Jesus Christ prophesies something, that must be important. Right, So let's look at the prophecy of the ascension. I had you put a marker at John 3. Let's go there. Before I had you go to six other passages, right? Hopefully some of you are still there. John chapter 3. The prophecy of the ascension. John 3 and verse 13. Christ says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. 
So now, the, the boy that went to heaven, all of these accounts of people who go to heaven and come back and write about it, how many of you have heard of some of those things? All I can say is liar, liar, pants on fire. That God does not let anyone go to heaven, come back and write about it. There's only one person in the Bible that God allowed to do that, and it was the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul says, I don't know whether I went there bodily. I don't know if it was a vision. I don't even know. But even, even Daniel, the things that Daniel got to write, he sealed that up in the book. That's not for open consumption. You can't write that yet. By the time we get to the revelation of John, that's when the vision is opened. But no one else can ascend to heaven and come back down to heaven other than Jesus Christ himself. Is that what the passage says? That's it. And so what Jesus is saying is, well, I came from heaven. And no man can ascend except he that came down. They didn't realize it. And from the context, you wouldn't realize it. But this is a prophecy that Jesus Christ is going to ascend to heaven. Look at John chapter 6. So this is after Jesus has just told the people that they need to eat his body and drink his blood. And everybody's freaking out. They're freaking out. Now, Jesus explains it. How many of you know that there are still people who mess up that doctrine? You know, there are people right now that think they're drinking the blood of Jesus Christ and eating his body. And that is not true at all. Because look at verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus is saying, you got to believe my words. That's what you consume belief in me. That's what he was talking about in the passage. And he explains it. And just think of all the heresy that's gone on by people just read another verse. Keep going. But let's back up to verse 61. When Jesus knew himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? I just step back. Okay, let's get real for a second. You're all, you're praying. And, you know, so let's say that, that I'm having a, a problem with, with Wade New. That's bound to happen. And by the way, Lydia sent me this week this thing about these giants that they found out in Arizona or something. These Paiute, this Paiute tribe. They're like seven and a half feet tall with red hair. And so I sent that to Wade. I said, now I know where you came from. <laughs> but let's say that I've got a problem with Wade. And I'm praying to God, God, you know, Wade is a good man and he loves you and we're having some trouble. When God knows what I'm thinking is, I hate that guy, kill him. How many of you know that when you're murmuring in your heart, God knows it? Okay, let's, let's vote. Okay, y'all ready? Let's see who will participate. How many of you murmured in your heart this week? And the rest of you are on drugs, you didn't know it. It's just, uh, we are, folks, God knows us. Jesus knows what's going on in us all the time. If you don't get anything else out of this message, how about let's just begin having honest and open communication with our Savior all the time. Just just all the time. Let's, let's go on. So look at what it says, verse 61 again. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, 
He said unto them, Doth, doth this offend you? Then, look, then he asks them a, a question. They think it's a rhetorical question. They think it's hyperbole. Look at what he says. What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? What, what, if, I, what if I ascend? What if I'm gone? He's, he's already told them in John 3, only one can ascend, but he that descended. And now he's saying, what if I ascended? How many of you think maybe he's dropping some hints about what's coming? But here's what I love. He knew, doesn't that sound redundant that Jesus knew something? That sounds silly. That is a tautology, that word, a senseless repetition of something. But it, it, it's notable. Obviously, Jesus knew that he was going to ascend. But he also knew they were not ready for that truth yet. And I just love the grace and mercy of Jesus. He knoweth my frame that I am but dust. He never gives me more than I can handle. Anybody saved here today? You're born again. You know Christ as your Savior. Are you saved? He won't give you more than you can handle. I promise you, he will not. That means if you're going through it, then Jesus knows that you can handle this through the power of God, through the help of the Holy Spirit, and through the help of God's people. And so this is a prophecy of that. And Jesus Christ is constantly preparing them. Look at John chapter 7. Look at verse 33. Look at verse 32. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while, and I am with you. And then I go unto him that sent me. Now, if I told you I'm going to go to the Father, I'm going to go to the Father. Well, I'd have to die unless the rapture takes place, right? And Jesus did die, but that's not how he went to the Father. Jesus rose from the dead and went to the Father physically. So he's, he's preparing them. This is prophecy of his ascension. John chapter 14. Of course, you all know this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's such a wonderful hope. I, I preach it at many funerals. John 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I always love to point out that this is John 14, 1. Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. John 14, 1 says, You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't be a fool. In my Father's house are many mansions. How many of you are glad it's not apartments? You know, modern translations say apartments. Yeah. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also and whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. All right. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 6, two verses later, Thomas is doubting in verse 5. But what we see here is, I go to prepare a place. How's he going to go? He's going to ascend. The disciples didn't really grasp how he was going to go. The prophecy. The prophecy. Look at verse 12. John 14 and verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works then these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Look at verse 28. 
Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. He's telling them, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. How is he going to go? He was going to ascend bodily. I don't think they grasped that. Look at John chapter 16. John 16, verse 28. The prophecy of the ascension. Uh, Let's look at verse 26. John 16, verse 26. At that day, ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So he's not going to cease to exist. He's going to go to the Father. How many can see that he's preparing them over and over and over again? I'm going to go. I'm leaving. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I was thinking about it this week. Laura and I were were talking, and I've been talking with the deacons about preparing the church for the next pastor. Preparing the church for the next pastor. Don't worry. It's going to be a long time from now. But how many think it's wise to start preparing for that kind of thing? Why? Now, Grace Baptist Church is not Jim Alter. Don't think I'm making it big, you know, what's going to happen here when I'm gone as if I'm the, the, the linchpin. That, that, that's not it at all. You're Grace Baptist Church. We are Grace Baptist Church together. Amen? And so, as I prepare you for that, there going to be some steps that we have to take down the road. Start hiring staff and get prepared for a transition. And all that has to happen. Amen? All that has to happen. What if at that point I just floated up out of here? That'd be weird. There's a lot of weird stuff in the Bible. That's not what's going to happen unless the rapture takes place. And like I always say, if the rapture takes place, Patrick can have my library. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna float out of here. And yet, wise leadership is preparing people for what comes next. That's exactly what Jesus Christ was doing. He was preparing his men for what comes next. So that's the prophecy of the ascension. But what is the biblical, how, how does the Bible emphasize things? What's emphasis in the Bible? Repetition. Right? Repetition is God's volume control. He, he emphasizes things that are important, important doctrines through repetition. This is so significant, the, the biblical significance of the ascension. The Holy Spirit considers the ascension of Christ so significant that he mentions it at least 36 times in the New Testament. 30, how many think 36 is a lot? That is a significant emphasis in the Bible. Let's look at how he deals with it. One, more than 20 times in the book of Acts, the ascension is referred to, made reference to. Let's just look at one of those. Look at Acts chapter 3. Of course, we'll have more to say about this passage when we get to it in the year 2030. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Man, I love that right there. When Jesus returns and refreshes everything. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was preached, which before was preached unto you. 
whom the heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things. So, the heaven receiving Jesus Christ, that's just one reference to the ascension of Jesus Christ. And that's the preaching of the disciples all through this book. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul referring to the ascension. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You know, this is what I call the greatest verse on the gospel in the Bible. I'm sorry, that's in, uh, in Peter. But anyway, this is a good one too. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without, this is one of the passages that the modern Bibles change. They, they remove the fact that Jesus is God from this passage. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Isn't that a wonderful summation of the work of Christ? Man, I love that. I just love that. Look with me at 1 Peter 3.22. 1 Peter 3.22, talking about Jesus Christ. Last phrase of verse 21, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. You know, that's the cross-reference to that Philippians 2. Wherefore, God hath given him a name which is above every name, right? That's the cross-reference to that. But this is, this is more and more references demonstrating the significance of the ascension in the New Testament. Listen to what um, Alexander McLaren wrote. I love this. You'll love this. No chariot of fire. No whirlwind was needed to lift him to his throne. Remember Elijah was taken in a, in a, in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire? How about this? No chariot of fire, no whirlwind was needed to lift him to the throne. Elijah was carried by such agency into a sphere new to him. Jesus ascended up where he was before. See, Jesus could ascend by himself. Elijah needed some help. It's different. It's different. I just love it. That's the biblical significance. But what about the personal significance of the ascension? Especially to the apostles. Imagine what that was like for them. Go back to Acts chapter 1. The personal significance. They had just gotten him back. He had died. They thought they had lost him. They'd just gotten him back. And he's just been, and and what's wild is it appears that as he's with them, the, the scriptures appear to say that he would just show up. Oh, there's Jesus again. Right? Can you imagine somebody doing that to you? Just when they walk in, you can know when they appear. It's like, whoa. <laughs> Jesus, just he's just appearing to them. Now, whether he was walking in or not, we know that he walked with them for those days. But in Acts chapter 1, it, it shows at least two times where they had assembled together. And there, it, it, it appears that they're hanging on his every word. Now, they listened to him before, but now they're valuing what he is teaching them. And when we get to the sermon that Peter begins to preach at the end of this chapter, then then we're going to start to see how, what it meant that Jesus had opened to them the Scriptures. It's, it's a really fun combination of what he gives us. But the personal significance of the ascension, they had just gotten him back. And what does this signify to them? This is the end of an era. This is the end of a dispensation. 
This is the end of the way God was working in a particular period of time. It will, it would never be that again. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It will never be that again. I'd say that's pretty significant. They're pretty significant. John Phillips, I like this. He said, that which had begun in a cradle now ended in a cloud. It began in a cradle, ended in a cloud. And on a Sunday night, uh, well, I'm going to refer to it in a second, we're going to go through all of the references in the Bible that talk about what the clouds mean to God. When he has this here, in Acts chapter 1, how does it say it in verse 9? And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. There's something really cool about that. It's, it's very interesting. So God in Christ had come down to earth. Now he had gone back to heaven. So listen to what John Phillips had in his commentary. This is a great statement. For 33 and one-half years, this planet had been visited from outer space. I just watched um, a video of uh, a, what, Bishop of Durham. Is that, is that who he is? N.T. Wright. Famous Bible scholar. But he just said some really dumb stuff in this. So they said when Jesus, he was mocking us believers who believe that Jesus is going to come and scoop people off the earth. How many of you believe he's going to come and scoop you off the earth? Right? I'm one of those dumb people. Because the Bible says that's what he's going to do. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be taken up together to meet them in the air, in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, call me crazy. But it sounds like he's going to take us up off this earth before he returns to the earth. Why? Because that's what the Bible... So anyway. I'm not mad. He said... It makes it sound like God has to travel from a really far place when he's actually right there. And all he'll do is show you, he'll remove the curtain and show you that he's there. Oh, this is heaven? How many of you know this is not heaven? How many of you are glad this is not heaven? I mean, this service is pretty wonderful. I heard John MacArthur say that the church service is supposed to be heaven come down to earth. I think that's a, that's a pretty cool way. So I'm doing my part. How are you guys doing? Okay, but anyway, this is, anyway, that's so dumb. But God, God is coming back. Isn't that wonderful? The way he went is the way, he, okay, back to Phillips. For 33 and one half years, this planet had been visited from outer space. The son of the living God had been born, had grown up, had ministered, traveled, and taught, had been killed and buried, had conquered death. Now he had gone home. Never before and never again in all the history of the universe would its like be seen. That's the significance of the ascension to the apostles. It changed everything. They, they stand awestruck staring at the sky. But the wonders aren't over. How many of you think it would be pretty cool if a couple of angels came and started talking to us? So the wonder of the ascension was followed by the wonder of these two angels 
shaking them out of their gazing and giving them a message. He's coming back. He's coming back. And one of my favorite parts about this whole thing is that angels had announced his birth. Angels had watched his temptation. Angels had strengthened him in Gethsemane. Angels had heralded his resurrection. And now angels had come to escort him to the skies and announce to the disciples what their next step was. Man, if people don't believe in the spirit world, I feel sorry for them because it is true. Amen? The Bible says people have entertained angels unawares. Angels unawares. These were, they were aware of these angels. But what about the personal significance of the ascension to us? What does, why is the ascension important to you and me as believers in the church age? And it's fun that, that the narration, or, or that, that the ascension is narrated twice by Luke. Once at the end of his gospel, and once at the beginning of the book of Acts. Because it's significant for ending that period of time when Jesus was on the earth. But it's also significant for beginning what the church is going to be. How many of you are glad that you're a part of the church? And not just Grace Baptist Church, but you're a part of that body of Christ, that you are one, that we are all one in Christ with every believer around the world. We are all one in Jesus Christ. The ascension is a vital part of that, and that's what I want to show you right now. Again, the life begun by the supernatural birth ascends or ends with the supernatural ascension. And here's the significance of the ascension. The ascension sets the seal of heaven on Christ's claim and work. When Jesus Christ... Okay, look at... Uh, okay, I'm going to get there. I'll get there in a minute. Forget I start. Don't get ahead of me. So it, 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 the gospel of Luke ends with it because it sets the seal. It's finished on Christ's claim and work. Therefore, the gospel ends with it. But it's also the starting point of Christ's heavenly activity, of which the, the growth of his church is recorded in the book of Acts. Therefore, the book of Acts begins with it. In one aspect, Christ's work on earth was finished on the cross. In another, that finished work is but the beginning of both his doing and teaching. Do you remember verse one, chapter 1, verse 1? The former treatise, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach? He began. He began the book of Acts. He ended it physically on earth with his ascension. Right? It didn't end with the cross. It didn't end with the resurrection. It ended with the ascension. The ascension is vital because of the things that he taught the disciples that we'll see in the book of Acts. They learned those things that he gave them between his resurrection and his ascension. But this work ended with his ascension. Therefore, we are not... This is vital. Don't miss this. I'm almost done. Okay? Therefore, we are not to regard his teaching while on earth as the completion of Christian revelation. Now, a lot of people like red-letter Bibles. Right? And that's a preference. How many of you prefer a red-letter Bible? Would you raise your hand? How many of you prefer not to have the red-letter Bible? I prefer not to have a red-letter Bible. Just with my ADD and all that, it just helps me not to have the distraction on the page. So, what's the significance? There are a lot of people today that love, or they think they do, they don't really know them, they think they love the teachings of Jesus. And they diminish the teaching of Paul. They teach, the, 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 they, they diminish the rest of the New Testament. 
You understand that the teaching of the Gospels gives us information about who Jesus is and what he was doing on the earth. The rest of the New Testament is what's for us. How many of you know that? Right? That, that's, that's for us. So this is the significance. Here, I'm going to read that first statement again, then we're going to go on. Therefore, we are not to regard his teaching while on earth as the completion of Christian revelation. To set aside the epistles on the plea that the gospels contain Christ's own teaching, while the epistles are only Paul's or John's, is to misconceive the relation between the earthly and heavenly activity of Jesus. Folks, Jesus is not done teaching. Amen? He's not done teaching. Where do you think Paul got his information? He didn't get it from the apostles. When he went and visited the apostles, he said, they added unto me nothing. Where did he get his information? From Jesus Christ himself. How about that? And then there is this other person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus, and this is, a, this is vital, this is why at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. What Jesus was doing was Jesus had, had laid aside his free and independent exercise of his deity. He came to earth as a man and lived as a man. And everything that he did was through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So he began his earthly teaching in the spirit. And he continues that heavenly teaching on earth through the spirit. Through the word of God. As he communicates that to the Holy Spirit living in us. If we are born again. The significance of the ascension is demonstrating to us that change from him speaking through his own vocal cords to speaking by the Holy Spirit through the words of Scripture. He's not done. He's not done. That's the doctrinal, or that's the significance for us, the personal significance. But what about the doctrinal significance? What does all this mean to what we believe in this church age? Now we're going to go keep your place in Acts, go to Hebrews chapter 1. What did the ascension demonstrate for us? What is the key doctrine that we learn? Remember, I said it before, the ascension sets the seal of heaven on Christ's claims and work. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who? Christ. Being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Can I tell you something? How many of you are saved? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Here's what that means. Your sins are purged. They are gone. They are washed away. And he, listen, God is so great, it only took Jesus once to do that. So when he ascended, and the Father says, sit at my right hand. When Jesus sat down, do you know what that was saying? It's finished. It's finished. 
his being allowed to sit there, listen, after taking on the sin of the world. God can't look at sin. God can't look at sin. Can you all hear me? God cannot look at sin. How many of you know God can't look at sin? Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 21? He who knew no sin, he wasn't made to carry sin. He was made to be sin for us. If you could have seen Jesus on the cross, he, all you would have seen with spiritual eyes, all you would have seen is sin. When Jesus ascended and sat down, you know what that meant? That was all gone. That's the doctrinal significance for you and me. I don't know about you all, but we, in our Sunday school class today, where we're looking at Moses and in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 11. And he's praying to God, if you love me, kill me because of my wretchedness, my, my wickedness. He recognized that he didn't deserve to live. Do you know what we get to recognize in the New Testament age? As I stand before God, unworthy but sinless because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the ascension means. That's what it means. It, it's not just some great miracle where God flew away. It is that he had finished. The work of redemption was complete. God the Father had accepted the sacrifice. No other mode of departure from earth would have corresponded to his voluntary supernatural birth. And don't miss this. Go with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5. So John, the beloved, God's taken him to heaven. And look at what it says in verse 6. John chapter 5, or sorry, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... And of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. As it had been slain. When we go to heaven and we see Jesus, he's going to have a human body. And that body is going to be filled with the scars that he bore for you and for me. So this is vital. What's the doctrinal significance of the ascension? Jesus Christ carried humanness up to the throne of God humanness. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. If any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. He carried humanness up to the throne of God. The cloud which received him while he was at well within the sight of the gazers was, I believe, that same bright cloud, the symbol of the divine presence which of old dwelt between the cherubim. His entrance into it visibly symbolizes. His entrance into that cloud visibly symbolized the permanent participation then begun of his glorified physical body in the divine throne. Now there's a change. 
And that change is I'm in him, in the throne. Amen? In Christ. Look at Ephesians. In Christ. In him. In Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is the significance of the ascension? It is finished. Let's all stand. Oh, God. You know the way that my mind works, Lord, how I I read past these things so often. Yeah, he ascended, he ascended, but it's so much more significant than that. The simple words, they they seem to hide the far deeper truth that, that you've spread throughout your scriptures. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and thank you for dying for us. Lord, thank you that you demonstrated that you're God by rising from the dead. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we're humbled by that. And then you continued teaching on earth until you ascended. And then you sent your Holy Spirit to bring remembrance of all things that you had said. So we know exactly what you said. And then you continued to teach through through the apostles and scripture writers until the Bible was closed. And, and now we've had that for 2,000 years to study and believe and know and You gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can interpret and understand those things and do your work. Lord, thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all, we're all standing. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? I've asked that probably five times today. If you've never trusted Christ alone, just believe that he's God. Repent of your sin and ask him to save you. Make him Lord of your life and he will save you. And you will be washed whiter than snow. Your sin won't be covered. It'll be purged. And you'll be a part of that body of Christ. What a wonderful promise. And the rest of us, don't look back over your life with guilt. Look forward with joy. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Man, the ascension means something. And that's why the rapture is so significant. Because what's going to happen? We're going to go the way he did dead or alive. We're going to go the way that he did. Why? Because he's made us like him. That's unbelievable. Elijah couldn't do it. None of the Old Testament saints could do it. We get to do it because he has made us like him through his blood, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let's serve him. How many think we ought to serve him? Amen. Let's sing this together.